Well, hello and welcome to this Directive virtual conference titled Cap Reform is Social Conditionality the Answer for Workers. My name is Julia Dahm. I'm an agri-food journalist at Directive and I have the pleasure to be moderating today. And over 10 million people are employed in the agriculture sector across Europe. But many of them are in informal employment, many are migrant workers, and there frequently are reports of poor working conditions or poor wages. So to tackle the situation, the EU has, for the first time, incorporated a social pillar into its reformed Common Agricultural Policy, also known as CIP, which came into force this year. And the way this works is that farmers are required to comply with a set of minimum standards, social and labor standards. And if these are not met by a farm, national authorities can decide to withhold a portion of that farm's cap subsidies. And currently, it's still voluntary for EU countries to implement this. And so far, only France, Italy and Austria have opted to introduce social conditionality at this point. But it will be mandatory for EU member states by 2025. So is social conditionality the right approach for the EU to guarantee fair working standards in agriculture? And how can we make sure it works in practice? These are some of the questions we want to discuss with our panelists today. So let's welcome our panel which includes um, Margaret Bateson-Missen, Head of Social Sustainability at the European Commission's um, DG Agri. And next up, we have Piroska Kelly. She's the president of the Permanent Group on so Sustainable Food Systems at the European Economic and Social Committee. Uh, we have with us Claudia Merlingo. She's um, our representative from the employer's side today. She's the vice president of the Employers Group of Professional Agricultural Organizations in the EU. Um, Giopa Coppola for short, and she's also the head of the economic department at the Italian Agriculture Confederation, Gia Agricoltori Italiani. And um, we have with us also Mary Angels Fortuni. She's the head of uh, unit at Forestry, Agriculture, Construction and Tourism Unit of the International Labour Organization. And last but not least, um, we have Christian Bragerson to bring us the union's perspective today. Um, he's the Secretary General of the European Federation of Food, Agriculture and Tourism Trade Unions. So uh, I think we've heard enough from me. Let's jump right into it and hear directly from our panelists. So I'd like to do a short round of intro statements, starting with you, maybe Margaret. So uh, if you could give us your introductory remarks. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, Julia, you've already uh, introduced what the, uh, the social conditionality uh, mechanism is. I have to say it was a very important step that the CAP took in 2021 by including the rights of the agricultural workers into the CAP. Um, I have to say, until then, <laughs> I was always very relieved when a question arrived on workers' conditions, as the CAP had no competence in that area and it had very few provisions that could be uh, could be used to improve conditions and while that competence um, for the legislation um, the social legislation still remains with DG employment we now have some tools in the cap to address workers rights so um, I, we, I will later on I'm sure I'll tell you about the three directives in question um, it may not seem like enough but it's a very important start now that the mechanism is there we can add to it um, in future cap reforms um, but there are a number of drawbacks and um, as it applies only to the direct payments to farmers it doesn't cover horticulture so fruit and vegetable sector which receives very few direct payments and this is where most of the abuses actually exist um, especially for the seasonal workers and the informal workers 
there are some sectoral interventions, but they're not the same as social conditionality. And the other big drawback is since social conditionality relies on the existing control systems of the member states for, the, for labor and social rules, it's only going to be as good as those systems are. So to answer the I think the title of your conference or the question of your conference, it's, it is not yet the full answer for agriculture workers. It still has some way to go. So I'll leave the rest of my comments until later. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret, for a nuanced statement, I'd say. I'm sure we can discuss some of the points you mentioned during the discussion. So, um, Piroska, maybe you can give your introductory remarks next. Yeah, I'm afraid we can't hear you. I don't know if the others can. Maybe you have to unmute yourself somewhere. No, not yet. Maybe we move on to Claudia and we just try with you afterwards to see if it works then. So Claudia, if you're ready, maybe we can just jump to you next. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Julia, and goodbye to everyone. Um, I'm agree with uh, Margaret. Uh, you really touch um, important topics for farmers also. I would like to make a statement before we start the discussion and it's not so obvious but when we talk about compliance with labor legislation and compliance with collective agreements, regulation on safety at work and working hours is first and foremost a matter of priority interest, not only not only for workers, but only very much for employers. Because whoever does not respect the rules competes unfairly with healthy companies, with healthy farmers that we represent. Then there is an indirect, but nonetheless significant damage that employers uh, who do not respect the rules produce, and it is incalculable damage because it affects the reputation of an entire sector and even if virtuous companies are the majority and even if the rate of irregularities in our sector is more or less equal to that of other sector without one mention because it is a challenge that doesn't interest me the incorrect behavior of a few companies fuels the story of the sixth sector and the, the second statement I would like to do is about what it means to uh, be a farmer today. So the agricultural sector is a strategic sector for our future, uh, a precious, a precious asset to defend and who demonstrate its ability and centrality during the pandemic when the world will stop, but not the farmers. So um, I'm making this statement, which may seem superfluous, only because we all have a great responsibility when we talk about agriculture and times are difficult. Farmers have clear commitments they have to face, produce more, produce better, produce with less. The complexity of this challenge concerns all of us because food means health, Food, it means social peace, it means work, it means also justice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't know if, okay, I think we're still trying to get to here, Prasca. So maybe let's move on to Mary Angels first and then we can come back to you. I'm sure we can uh, get to hear you. Um, so yeah, let's just uh, move to you, Mary Angels. Thanks. 
Thank you, Julia. And uh, I will start actually with what uh, Claudia was uh, saying. And I bring more the, the, the global perspective. I mean, I'm in ILO in, in headquarters, but I would like first of all to emphasize uh, what a strategic sector uh, disease, uh, agriculture. Nearly one third uh, of the world population are working in agriculture, and it is the backbone of many, many uh, developing countries. I was just reading this morning that actually food production needs to increase by 70% by 2050. So food production, it is an agriculture, it is a very, very strategic sector. So that's, you know, a very timely discussion that we're having here today. Secondly, that yes, what we call decent work deficits in the sector are pervasive. I mean, particularly in, uh, in developing countries, agriculture is where the majority of the poor people live. And ironically, those that produce food are those that are most uh, food insecure. Therefore, placing distant work at the center of agro-food systems is very, very timely. And any initiative that any country or the European Union can do about promoting distant work in the sector is, of course, very much welcome. Um, my third point is about uh, well, social conditionality reforms of the CAP. And uh, for us, for the ILO, a key to its success, uh, we strongly believe that it's basically the social dialogue that you can have around these measures. Uh, that basically, particularly now that you are moving towards the, the, the phase of implementation, that it's voluntary in some countries, how important it is to have tripartite consensus. And in the ILO, when we call tripartite, it means with all the parties, the government, the employers, and the workers. So that's basically really, really key. We believe it's key to, to, to move forward in this respect. Um, I also wanted to take the opportunity to sort of a bit advertise because that the topic is so important that we recently had a tripartite meeting to adopt uh, policy guidelines on the promotion of decent work in the agro-food sector. So basically, uh, these policy guidelines have been agreed on a tripartite basis. I mean, it, it was a difficult discussion because there are very sensitive topics in the guidelines. So we are very happy that we agreed uh, tripartite consensus. They're available online and basically we hope that they would offer uh, guidance to, to countries to improve uh, decent work in the sector. And this brings me to a last point uh, that actually is very much emphasized in the guidelines and our tripartite constituents really emphasized during the, the discussion, which is about, and I will not now develop long about it, but it's about the, the, the respective and complementary roles of all the actors that they have in the process and implementing decent work measures and basically the importance of the effectiveness and the efficiency of public uh, governance uh, systems. And basically the important role of governments and of public institutions and the importance of, of building the capacity of those institutions and including labor inspection to implement uh, all the laws and regulations that are needed in the sector. And I will leave it at here. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, the good news is, I think that we have Proska with us sound-wise now, so uh, maybe you can go next. I hope you can you can hear me. Can you hear me yes, now? Yes, now it's perfect. 
Yeah. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. I'm sorry for for these technical uh, problems. So, uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much uh, for the invitation. So, actually, um, yes. So, very briefly. So, I am uh, representing now the European Economic and Social Committee. Uh, which is the house of organized civil society uh, representing employers, trade unions, and uh, other um, 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 civil society organizations. So actually, we are we are uh, working not only on social conditional conditionality, but uh, we have uh, we, we have uh, long-standing cooperation with EFAT also and with other institutions. That's why when we are uh, uh, producing our opinions. We uh, often uh, recall for what you have already stated. So actually, uh, as a rapporteur, I've got uh, several um, uh, experiences on, uh, on uh, the social conditionality because I uh, worked on so-called evaluation on the common agricultural policies impact on territorial development of rural areas. Uh, and uh, I have to say that, uh, that uh, when we went uh, to engage uh, uh, civil society uh, in different countries to, to tell their views on social conditionality, mostly, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the trade unions and um, employees side, actually social conditionality had a very good uh, reputation, to be honest. So uh, the, the most part of them supported uh, social conditionality. Uh, actually, we are working on sustainability issues as well. And we always say that uh, sustainability covers environmental, economic, but also social aspects. As social issues uh, are core uh, for the ESC, the NAT section recently commissioned a study entitled Collecting Data on the Situation of Social Protection of Seasonal Workers in the Agriculture and Food Sectors in EU Member States after COVID-19. I'm going to uh, speak about later when it comes uh, to, 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 the, to, to further uh, questions. So briefly, this is my uh, link to the social conditionality issues. Thank you very much. Thank you. And then uh, last but not least, we have uh, Christian left to give his introductory statement. So please go ahead. Yeah, good morning. And uh, thank you for uh, giving uh, Erfart the, the chance to uh, speak here today and uh, a, a chance to highlight the importance of including the, the social conditionality in the CAP. Uh, at this, as, as we see it, it has a, a great potential to raise labor standards in one of the most challenging and uh, precarious sectors of the economy. Ensuring that uh, workers' rights was part of uh, CAF was a crucial, workers, uh, crucial victory for farm workers and the, the many re responsible employers as well. But it was also effect, uh, an ethical, uh, ethically correct outcome. We all uh, agree on that workers' rights are just as important as environmental and animal rights. So for us, social conditionality can be a game changer if it is properly implemented by sanctions and controls. But uh, it must also be highlighted that 
alone it cannot change uh, everything when it comes to agri uh, food workers uh, more is needed and fortunately the, the 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 commission has been taking other steps as well uh, we must uh, welcome as well the new minimum wage directive uh, which will also play an important role uh, for the social dialogue within the agriculture sector and can improve working conditions in the sector we though believe that uh, the social conditionality in agriculture is only the beginning uh, more is needed uh, the european trade union movement believes uh, no public funds uh, should be given to employers that do not respect workers rights in general this is uh, uh, a, a general rule that should be applied to all EU funds in the future. So, as we see it, not respecting workers' rights should never be rewarded and give companies uh, competitive advantages. And that's why we believe that public funds should go to the many, and I stress the many decent employers that provide decent working conditions and follow the legal frameworks of the member states. Thank you. Thank you. So a uh, good step, social conditionality, but not the end, you say. Uh, before we jump a bit more into the discussion, I just wanted to go through some housekeeping points. So uh, we do welcome your questions throughout the event. Uh, we want it to be uh, very interactive. So don't hesitate to ask your questions um, all the way throughout the event, not just at the end. We'll incorporate them in the discussion. And the way you do this is you can scan the QR code on the screen um which will lead you to the website slido i think uh, many of you probably know it since we're all experienced um online uh, conferences by now uh, after the pandemic but just um just to go through it again you can either scan the qr code or you go to slido.com and you type in the code that you can see on the screen which is hashtag cap reform and then it brings you to the slido page where you can ask your questions to the panelists and i'd ask you to just address your questions so state which panelists you're asking it to and also to identify yourself so give your name and uh, your affiliation as well um yeah so um we welcome your questions uh, all the way throughout the event so don't be shy but uh, for now let's jump into the discussion and maybe let's start with a bit of a general question um and i want to ask christian and claudia this so that we have a bit the employers and the employees side represented. So maybe Claudia, let's go first with you. Do you think the inclusion of social conditionality in the current cap was a good step? And what do you think are the benefits and the weaknesses of the way that it's currently designed? What's kind of your take in general? Yes, thank you, Julia, for this question. I try to uh, answer from the employer's point of view. And um, I have to start saying that agricultural uh, employers are not opposed to the principle of a social conditionality in the cap. Uh, for the reason I mentioned in, the, in my statement. So uh, we um, approach the social conditionality of as a, as a tool to um, make the farmers that respect the rules be competitive. So it is important for us. Uh, it is our interest also, also, as you said, as a social partner. Uh, so we really trust 
that the social conditionality could implement all these aspects. Uh, we belong to, to a kind of agriculture, I mean about European agriculture, that is characterized by quality, by productive excellence product. So, which also means the quality, the quality of work, the quality of workers, the quality of possibilities that we gave to the workers. So on this ground, I think that we can compete with the rest of the world at the moment. So the benefits are, are those that I mentioned. And the, the, the point of weaknesses and concern uh, regards and concern two aspects. The one is the practical implementation uh, that will take place in all the countries. And the fact, the fact is objective, uh, that the impact assessment and the evaluation, the random view evaluation of the social conditionality in the new CAP will take place no earlier than 2026. So they, this means, which means that it will be very difficult before that time that is very, very a long time, very far. It will be very difficult um, before that date that it's also close to the new cap to approve any improvements or correction if this is necessary to achieve to given uh, to reach the objectives. So I can say the both things from one side, the social conditionality is a, a really big opportunity. From the other side, I have to say, um, we have to monitor and be very careful about what in this phase of application, different application. Italy is one of the countries that choose to um, implement the social conditionality starting from 2023, also with Austria and with France, but there are main countries that decided different timings. So um, I think that the role of social partner like JELPA and like EFA2 it will be in this time to be very strictly monitoring how the different countries implement the application of the care, of the social conditionality. This is important to achieve the objectives and not to avoid the cap. Thanks. Also interesting point you mentioned about the kind of timeline. If countries don't go beyond what's re what's required and only implement in 2025, it doesn't indeed not leave a lot of time before the next cap. So, uh, and I know farmers always talk about uh, planning security and kind of having a long term um, vision for where things are going um, legislatively. So, uh, indeed, an interesting point. So, uh, Christian, maybe let's hear a bit from the other side. You already mentioned social conditionality a step in the right direction. Uh, where, where do you see some, some advantages and drawbacks, maybe? 
So, I mean, uh, just to, to mention, uh, clearly social conditionality has been a long-standing uh, demand of ours. Uh, for over 10 years, we've been uh, discussing social conditionality within the common agriculture policy. So for us, it was clearly a, a great victory. But nevertheless, uh, this is just the first step in the, the right direction. There are still uh, some weaknesses and uh, drawbacks that needs to be addressed. Uh, Margaret uh, mentioned earlier the scope of the, the directive. It doesn't kind of cover the, the whole uh, sector. This is something that needs to kind of like be uh, looked into. But it's also the, the, the fact that uh, and, and we see it as a possible weakness is that the, the, the mechanism to, to enforce and control uh, the social conditionality are uh, relying on existing checks and controls in the member states. Uh, and there we, we already know that there are many uh, difficulties. Uh, the, uh, the labor inspectorates in many of the member states are uh, poorly funded and uh, don't really have the capacity to follow up on this uh, in, uh, in, in the way we would like to see it. But this is, of course, something that needs to be addressed. And we have already put forward some ideas on how to uh, uh, implement uh, minimum standards within the EU on uh, labor inspectorates and, and so on. But uh, overall, I think, as uh, Claudia mentioned earlier, the role of the social partners needs to be better implemented into the, uh, into the CAP as well uh, and to follow up on the, uh, uh, the social conditionality cannot really be done without a very close uh, consultation with both uh, the, the European social partners, but also the social partners on a national level. Yeah, thanks. Some interesting points already. I think we can go into some of them um, in a bit more detail throughout the discussion. Um, I just wanted to, to frame a bit the discussion generally. Maybe, Mariangels, you could tell us a bit about uh, when we look at the agriculture agriculture sector and at um, working conditions, what are maybe some of the specificities that policymakers should keep in mind compared to other sectors when we're making um, policies for working conditions in this sector? And uh, do you think this that the social conditionality has been yeah, well, well designed and well adapted to this? What would you say? Yes, <clears throat> basically on the social conditionality, I have to say I'm, I'm not really uh, an expert, so I couldn't, you know, provide uh, informed, uh, you know, advice. It may be also a bit too early, I was thinking, to draw conclusions about successes and failures. And I think it's already been mentioned that now close monitoring and evaluation is going to be needed to in the coming years to, to draw some uh, some conclusions but um i think a couple of things that uh yes that the previous speakers were mentioning one was on the involvement of the social partners when it comes to to, to the monitoring and evaluation of, of these measures so we really really would strongly support i mean there is evidence that whenever there is a measure that has tripartite consensus. I mean, whether it's social conditionality, whether it's education and training, when there is tripartite involvement, it is more successful. And then um, the other point is about the, the key role that I was mentioning at the beginning of, of uh, labor market institutions and the important role of, uh, of labor inspection. 
that of course that it's been mentioned it's extremely weak in uh, in well in developing countries sometimes it's non-existent or, or, or very very weak and this is uh, this is a big challenge that the sector uh, that the sector has so besides I mean social conditionality is not uh, definitely not uh, the the only answer and in order to implement it successfully it's very important to strengthen uh, labor inspection it's interesting i mean globally if we have there is i mean there are 30 different conventions international labor standards touching the agricultural sector and one of them it's actually on the on labor inspection in agriculture and it's actually one of the less ratified uh, conventions in uh, in the ILO i mean it, this doesn't touch so much europe but just to say how important uh, labor inspection is for the sector and on your questions about uh, the main decent work deficits in agriculture it's you know again it's basically where the poorest of the the poorest live uh, it's where informality is uh, the highest so i mean if i would have to summarize it in uh, one of course it's you know that are extremely high levels of informality and i was looking at ilo data and actually uh, for um, yes i think it's for uh, for eu uh, for the european union of the 10 sectors most represented basically agriculture is the most represented sector in the informal economy uh, in in the european union so i would say and with informality comes of course uh, you know very low wages, uh, poor working conditions, occupational safety and health, uh, it's, it's a huge challenge. And I have to say that uh, we have in the ILO what we call the fundamental principles and rights at work. And since last year, basically, we, we have now occupational safety and health, the two occupational safety and health conventions are uh, fundamental principle and rights at work. That meaning that member states, whether they're ratified or not ratified, they have to implement the these conventions so uh yes i mean the decent work deficits are i mean there are many depending on countries i mean uh, you know gender uh inequalities are uh, you know the gender pay the gender wage gap is uh, is, is very high in uh, for example in particularly in developing countries so yes i mean there are there are many decent work deficits i would say Thanks. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned something that we've heard mentioned a few times now, which is uh, kind of the monitoring and the checks, which I'd say is something that this whole concept kind of hinges on. So, Roscoe, maybe you want to address this. Are you optimistic that it can be done, relying on member states' um, monitoring systems, that it can be effective in actually monitoring um, these? Uh, these standards that firms are supposed to comply with under so social conditionality, do you think this is a problem? Yeah, <clears throat> thank you. So yes, uh, as uh, it was already mentioned, so in the previous CAP, subsidies were particularly conditional on respect for basic environmental standards, public health and uh, animal welfare, while compliance with human and labor rights was not considered at all. The, this is why the previous CAP has failed to improve uh, agriculture workers' conditions. Uh, as I said, yes, uh, the European Economic and Social Committee is not a section which is related to environmental and uh, agricultural issues. Uh, in the visited countries for an evaluation report, um, uh, had the answers, uh, the, the following uh, answers. So respondents and workers' organizations strongly highlighted the importance of uh, of uh, social conditionality, which should be a key to, to ensure decent working conditions for all. 
the ESC therefore welcomes the social conditionality in the current common agriculture policy that links uh, cap subsidies to compliance with social and labor standards. It means that uh, common agriculture uh, policy payments are linked to the respect of certain EU labor standards and beneficiaries are incentivized to improve working conditions on farms. Uh, social conditionality aims to make the, the CAF fairer and more sustainable as, uh, as well. And uh, let me or allow me to, uh, to say uh, something personal. So actually my country, Hungary, at the beginning was not so uh, open and uh, I'm very happy to see that uh, and to hear that uh, that uh, you um, dear colleagues you just uh, put the stress on uh, the social partners um, uh, role in this this case I think it's very very important uh, thanks to to effort we had the opportunity to to to, to try to speak with government uh, and uh, the agriculture ministry on how to proceed in this regard. And I have to say that this improved as well uh, our role because uh, in at uh, national um, uh, level, I am working for uh, agricultural workers, so actually for, uh, for trade union. And uh, uh, with the, the social conditionality issue, we just uh, were engaged in the um, let's say policy making as well which is quite important to to say what is wrong and what should be improved and uh, i am very happy for that and there is another uh, the, another point i would like to stress on is that uh, uh, regarding for example uh, the very not stylish but the very very um, so the the rural development issue itself uh, actually, uh, we just recognize the fact that if we've got um, a structured, in, structured, improved, or let's say organized uh, industrial relations, uh, with, with this, we can attract back people, young people, to the rural areas to live and to work. So this is very important. And I, I, I truly believe that industrial relations can be improved only um, if we've got uh, certain social conditionality uh, issues to be, uh, or rules to take into consideration. Thank you very much. Thank you also for your impressions from Hungary. Very interesting. Um, Margaret, do you maybe also want to comment on this point of um, monitoring rules in the different member states? And maybe to to phrase it a bit, um, yeah, maybe provocatively, should it should this even be something that's done within the cap if it's something that only member states can do and that's kind of a prerogative of um, of national states in the EU labor laws and and their enforcement? Does it even make sense to have this as part of the cap? Well, it, it wasn't part of the cap, and um, and there was a big demand that it be part of the cap. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people didn't see why public money was being paid to farmers who were abusing rules. And we know that this is a small percentage of the farmers, but still um, it, it gives a very, very bad view of the cap to have direct payments going to farmers who are, who are, uh, who are as I say, abusing their workers' rights. Now, just to explain why we... Um, we selected the mechanism that we did. Um, 
we wouldn't ask labour inspectors to go out and do the uh, the on-farm controls for the cap. We wouldn't ask them to measure agricultural parcels. We wouldn't ask them to do veterinary controls. We wouldn't ask them to do um, agri-environment controls. So therefore, we um, shouldn't ask agriculture inspectors to go and do labour controls. They're quite specialised and, and therefore they have to be carried out by the competent labour authorities. Um, so we have to rely on the controls that are there, that systems that are there. Um, now, one of the problems, or one of the, not so much a problem, but one of the constraints um, within the social legislation is that the treaty gives the competence for this to the member states. Um, the Commission is allowed to frame directives which set a framework for, uh, for the social and the labour rules, but uh, or, or, or legislation, but the um, there is very little enforcement prescribed in that legislation. Um, they basically just say member states shall enforce, and they have very very different ways of doing this. Some do it by um, some do it by carrying out controls, but there's no uh, specification on the frequency of controls. Um, some do it very, via their social partners, and this can work extremely well in uh, in you know in factories, for example, where uh, the the the, uh, the labour representative will uh, insist that the workers stop work if the conditions aren't right. Um, and and also in some countries, it has worked very well via information campaigns. Uh, to inform farmers a bit better, for example, about or workers generally about uh, about proper working conditions. So there are very, very different um, ways in which this is done uh, across the member states. And member states were very insistent that we don't interfere in how this is done. They say it's uh, a very delicate balance between the social partners and uh, uh, and and that the and that. Agri agriculture should not interfere in this. So therefore, we decided we would go with the systems that are in place. And of course, social conditionality is only going to be as good as those systems are. If controls aren't carried out, then there will be no uh, penalties under the uh, the social conditionality mechanism. So, and I see Christian uh, nodding to this. And of course, I mean, this is one of the big drawbacks of the social conditionality mechanism mechanism as it stands. But we do hope that it will raise awareness, that it will perhaps make the Labour Authority sit up and think, ah, maybe we need to do a bit more in this area. I mean, one of the problems that they have on the, on the, uh, you know, for, for, for carrying out controls on the agriculture side is that, you know, instead of going to one big factory or big construction site and covering a lot of workers, um, you have to go to lots of individual farms. Many of them are very small, they're very remote. So in terms of economies of scale, it's very difficult for a labour authority to show this in their statistics as, as being work which is carried out. So um, I think one of the, one of the, uh, the speakers, I think it was uh, yeah, Christian mentioned that the labour authorities are poorly funded and often understaffed. And I, I don't know because this is not within my remit, but I, I don't doubt you on this at all. Um, but um, I would also like to point out that, you know, there are... Um, you know, within the, uh, the, the yeah, but because of all of the the types, different types of work, you've got the informal work, you have the uh, the migrant work, you have the seasonal work. It makes it very hard for the sector to organise itself. The seasonal workers are constantly changing. The informal workers are invisible. They have no status. 
they have no standing. We have no idea what's going on, and nor do the authorities, because these people simply aren't registered as working. So it's, it is very, very difficult to, uh, to, to regularize this. But I would say that the legislation that we've included under social conditionality, um, the transparent and predictable working conditions, this applies to any, um, any employment relationship. So even if your worker is informal, or if it's a seasonal worker, you have an employment relationship with them. And I do think there's scope if the member states really want to push the legislation to, um, to try and improve the situation there for those workers. Also for occupational safety and health. You know, if you have any uh, workers on your farm at all, uh, also for your family members, occupational safety and health is a win-win for everyone, including the farmer, because there are so many accidents on farms, it helps everyone if you ensure better uh, safety on farms. Um, so I think those are the just the, the few points I would like to, to say on that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Christian, maybe to ask you, Margaret mentioned this hope that uh, including standards into the CUP could also encourage national authorities to maybe ramp up checks on farms or to pay more attention to this issue. And I've heard a similar argument made for other parts of the CUP, like agro-environmental standards or veterinary standards, that people say, um, sometimes these are standards that already exist that are being incorporated into the cap, but it means that uh, it encourages checks to actually be done that weren't done before. Do you have this hope for the social conditionality? I mean, it's a very complex issue in, in general when it comes to uh, labor inspectorates. Uh, it, it's not something that only applies to the cap. I mean, like this is clearly that it applies to the whole labor market in general. And, and the agriculture sector is very specific in that sense. Uh, we all have other sectors within EFAT as well, which are very much based on uh, small and micro-sized companies. It's more difficult to do uh, labor inspector uh, controls in those kind of uh, companies. It's more time consuming and it requires more uh, resources. In that sense, we believe that, uh, as I said earlier, I mean, the the authorities that we have already in the member states, uh, and it has been not only uh, mentioned by me, it was also mentioned by uh, our colleague uh, Mariangela, uh, the, 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 the resources and the standards are too weak. We need to have a, a stronger standards. And I believe that even though the labor, labor inspections are a national competency, the, the EU can set minimum standards that the, the countries should uh, uh, follow. Uh, and then we can use the, the current uh, and existing system that is in place already. Uh, but we also believe that there are other elements that need to be uh, addressing this uh, addressed as well. We believe that cross-checking between different enforcement agencies would be a, a, a one of the elements, for example, cross-checking social uh, security authorities, cap paying agencies, tax authorities, and so on. Today, this is not uh, a possibility, and we believe that this might also be something that needs to be looked into. And then finally, Margareta mentioned info information. We clearly believe information is extremely important, here, especially when we are talking about uh, informal, informal workers, and we have seasonal workers. It's people that come into the country for a very short period of time. We have been working closely with uh, Geopa and others to, to strengthen this element uh, and we believe that this is something that we need to continue to work on. I believe that the cap should 
address this as well. There should be some funding set aside for the social partners, both at national level, but also on uh, European level, to work on this topic. Uh, because if we do so, we eliminate some of the, the issues uh, by strengthening information. We just recently uh, launched a new uh, season at work uh, application, which is an information uh, app that is funded by the European Commission. Uh, and it is giving uh, seasonal workers a tool in a very simply, uh, simple way to understand the basic rights that they have when moving from one country to another in their own language. And I, I think we need to, to be creative and work together, the social partners with the Commission, to find ways to improve information towards the workers so they also understand what are their rights and, uh, and duties uh, for the future. Hmm. Um, Claudia, maybe let's hear from you next um, to hear a bit the employer's perspective. We talked about how feasible is the implementation in terms of controls, but how feasible do you think is the implementation of the social conditionality on the side of farmers? You already talked a bit about it in your introductory statement, but yeah, is this something that farmers will be able to implement or is it asking too much of them? Yes, thank you. Julia, so um, about uh, the flexibility of the of the system, uh, we, we we all know that the CAP framework regulation has imposed the principle of social conditionality without providing for the concrete modality of the implementation. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I think that this work delegated to the member states and it takes some risk, some risk leading to um, maybe significant disparities between countries with different sanctions, with different controls and diligence. Uh, therefore, I have to say from the point of view of, of farmers, of the agricultural sector in this case. Therefore, it is evident for me that there must be a, flexi a flexibility. Uh, this aspect is not could be only a problem. The different um, way to approach the application of social conditionality are in, in somehow inherent, intrinsic to the fact that the agricultural system of European Union are different. The member countries are different. The territory, agricultural territory, are different. Uh, agriculture is not the same and cannot be the same, for example, if I think about Italy or if I think about Sweden or Austria. There can be no remedy for flexibility because it represents a positive and distinctive factor. But we have to say precisely for this reason, it is important that there is an adequate monitoring from the social partner and from the commission together to prevent that flexibility from turning into a factor, positive factor into a negative factor that can distort the competition. So this is my point of view. And the, the other good thing that 
the social conditionality in the new cap can um, help to reach is about the um, monitoring system and data system. Uh, the data and monitoring system is an aspect that can improve really very much with social conditionality. Uh, I could take, uh, if you give me just one second, a very uh, practical, practical example. Uh, for example, in, in, in my country about Italy, that it's just, it is also one of the main concerns about the, the, uh, the first application of social conditionality. And as you know, the, the, uh, the, the operational aspect of the social conditionality in regards to the first step, first step, step one is the labor authorities, as you, as you well know, the labor authorities in the, each member states inform the agricultural uh, pay agency once a year about the case of non-compliance. This is first step. Two step, the paying agency, the paying agency apply a reduction to the farmer payments when there is a labor or worker safety breach and this is breach is identified. So those are the two steps. So uh, for example, in Italy, both the labor authorities data center and also the paying agency data center are not yet harmonized. They don't communicate each other. So we still have at least at the moment uh, three different authorities that are in charge of controls on labor legislation and that do not communicate and a payment system that is famous, I have to say, for the delays on the payment. So uh, I think and I really hope that the social conditionality will, will be a stimulus to improve the functioning of our administrative machine. If it does not, if it has not this capacity, um, we really fear, we are really very concerned in what will be the social conditionality application for the small farmers, for the administrative burden, uh, for the family farmers and the, the, the small agricultural companies. So, um, this is the point of view of farmers. We need flexibility. Flexibility could be positive, but uh, have to be managed, have to be handled. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, an interesting point as well. The flexibility has been left to member states in this kind of construct. Maybe we can talk a bit more about it in a minute. I just wanted to take two questions from the chat that I think uh, Margaret can both answer well. Um, so there's one from uh, Juan Molinero-Gerbo from the Institute of Migrations at Comillas University. Um, and the question is, can you please explain which are the sectors covered by social conditionality? I heard horticulture, fruits and vegetables are not covered by it. And this is a crucial aspect. So I know you mentioned in your introductory statement, so maybe you can elaborate a bit more on this point. Um, and the second question is, how will this measure be implemented for small and medium sized farms? where most of the workers are family members who are often not socially insured. Um, yeah, so maybe you could address these points, Margaret. Okay, thank you. Um, so this, the basically social conditionality will reply um, as is the case for, you know, the agriculture, con agricultural conditionality or environmental conditionality, it will apply to farmers who receive direct payments. 
So basically farmers, it's area-based. So any farmer who received direct payments will be subject to social conditionality. In the case of fruit and vegetables, they're inclined to receive their cap money through um, the operational programs. And it's the same for wine. And, um, and I think also some of the, the animal sectors don't get a, a, a particular um, area aid. So those sectors are pretty much left out from social conditionality. And uh, we didn't have a solution for that at the time. Um, the, the social conditionality mechanism came along very late in, de in the day in, the, in terms of the, uh, the, the cap negotiation timeline. Um, so we had um, a huge amount of work to do in screening all of the legislation that might be or could be applicable and, and could be useful to introduce. And we did not have time to look into how we could apply a mechanism to other sectors. Now, I have some ideas. Um, but I will I will not go into those because uh, I haven't you know I have to discuss all of those with my with my colleagues and we have to see uh, will they work. But I have some ideas for uh, how we could possibly introduce a mechanism into fruit and vegetables. Um, I also have ideas about other legislation that could be included in the future. Um, we do have under the um, operational programs for fruit and vegetables and wine. We do have objectives now on ensuring uh, good employment conditions um, and it is possible to have interventions that would help in improving the conditions. But there's no mechanism for penalising the farmers concerned at this stage. But it's something we will look at for the next cap. Um, and then as far as the small and medium farmers are concerned uh, who have family workers on the farm, indeed that is an issue. I mean, it's they're in, in a way, they're informal workers, um, and I know that the uh, incidence of child death and injury on farms is extremely high. It's quite shocking, um, and um, you know, it's it's really uh, it's something that uh, a lot of member states um, are concerned about already. But you know, if you have occupational safety and health rules applied on farms, then they also apply to the family members. Um, so even if a farmer doesn't have uh, workers that he's paying for uh, or paying a, a proper uh, or regular wage to, a farmer could and should still introduce uh, proper occupational safety and health rules on the farm to ensure their own safety as a farmer, but also the safety of family members and any occasional or informal workers that they would have as well. Yeah, thank you for re replying to the questions. Um, Maybe now let's come back to this point of national flexibility. So, um, Christian, maybe let's hear from you. Uh, one crucial thing that's left up to member states in the system is the sanctions. Uh, so how much of the subsidies are withheld um, if a farm doesn't comply with the standards? Do you think this is a good thing, leaving this up to member states? Or should there be stricter rules on the EU level? Uh... First of all, uh, just to kind of like reply a little bit to, to what Claudia mentioned earlier. I mean, uh, we, we do not believe that the social conditionality is a burden on farmers themselves because uh, we are only talking about uh, complying to existing controls and accept existing labor standards. We're not talking about new ones. Uh, the legal requirement already exists and it's only a matter of not giving money to those farmers and uh, employers that do not follow the, the law that is existing in those uh, countries. Uh, the new cap 
obliged member states to impose administrative sanctions by means of reduction of exclusion of the total amount of the payments to those employers not respecting a given set of EU, land, uh, EU labor standards. And uh, we already hear in the discussion that our uh, affiliates are having in those four countries uh, already mentioned uh, that the sanction level of sanction that is being proposed is extremely low uh, and something that we believe is not really dissuasive uh, enough uh, for this uh, to, to really work and this is a, a concern of ours that uh, the flexibility and the the, the implementation of a labor at, a, at, a, at a, a member state level might create uh, problems and therefore we have a, a clear uh, demands and we have put forward some proposal on how to address this uh, which our uh, affiliates are uh, uh, putting forward uh, at the national level. But we also believe that uh, even though the, the national governments uh, are working with this, we believe that the Commission should engage uh, not only with the, the member states, but also with the European social partners to develop uh, a coordinated and effective sanctioning system across whole of Europe uh, and, and try to harmonize the, the, the sanction systems uh, for, for future uh, purposes and future use. Thank you. Um, just because you already mentioned this question of um, yeah, reusing standards that already exist in the cap, or is it, a, is it an extra burden? There's a related question in the chat, so maybe I'll just... Um, have you have you answered it as well since you already raised the topic um so the question is how will the risk of double punishment be eliminated when the existing national framework is already very strict and labor authorities control the farmers social conditionality within the cup is just additional pressure on farms and administrative burden someone in the chat said so how would you reply to this I mean, once again, I mean, like uh, following law is not a, a administrative uh, burden. I mean, just to, to, to start at that point, I mean, it's like nobody should see it as an administrative burden to follow the law that is existing in member states. Uh, whether it's a, a double uh, punishment, I think everybody uh, agree that double punishment should not exist. But uh, nevertheless, I mean, like what is a double punishment? Are we in, in most cases, there is no punishment uh, taking place in Reaching uh, labor standards in most European countries, or it, it's it's minimum. So in that sense, I, I don't see this as a, a major issue. But I understand that uh, this is something that is a uh, it should just be an additional. I mean, the social condition should be an additional encouragement to uh, the, the 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 farmers and the the employers to follow the 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 existing labor standards. Okay, um, maybe let's talk about another point that um, was already raised a couple of times, which is that there's many informal, um, many workers in informal employment in the agriculture sector. So, um, Mariangels, maybe you could address a bit what do, what do policies need to keep in mind, or what do policymakers need to keep in mind to kind of address this situation? What policies do we need to help improve the situation of informal workers? Uh, yes, so I think that, I mean, as already has been mentioned, uh, addressing informality, it's basically, I mean, it's not about a policy intervention, but it is about uh, multiple 
you know, a multiple interventions and following, I mean, what we call an integrated policy framework. We have an international labor standard on informality, which is uh, our recommendation. It's not a convention, but it's a recommendation 204. And it's got a long list of, uh, of issues that they need to be addressed to tackle informality that range from, uh, you know, access to education, lifelong learning, access to markets, access to finance, uh, the promotion of a conducive uh, business environment, the importance of the regulatory and legislative uh, framework, I mean, the importance of labor inspection, as we've been talking about, um, and also, you know, the, the, the promotion of uh, and the elimination of, sorry, the elimination of all forms of uh, discrimination and also violence and harassment. There is a convention on violence and harassment. And that's also, I mean, uh, an important issue that touches the sector. But maybe from all this integrated policy framework that we talk about, this recommendation, I would say that a very important measure for addressing informality is the extension of, uh, of social protection. So basically extending social security to, to informal uh, economy workers, it's basically um, crucial, I believe, to, 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 address, uh, to address informality. But there is not one single measure i mean countries are different and you know we need to think about a whole comprehensive uh, package of policies also very important to target these small and medium-sized enterprises that we were talking about which is basically where a lot of agriculture workers work mm. um maybe margaret to turn to you at the other kind of um yeah characteristic of the sector that we mentioned was that there are many migrant workers as well uh, including within the EU. So I was just wondering, do, is there a, does this mean there's an increased risk for workers to kind of slip through the cracks of national systems? And is this something the EU can address by taking the matter into, into its own hands? Oh, well, okay. I just, I hold up something on the screen. And this is, um, uh, Peroska will recognize this because I think she's going to speak about it on uh, on Wednesday and I will be there also and uh, this is a report that the Economic and Social Committee has come out with on collecting data on the situation of social protection of seasonal workers and um, and there she has uh, some some recommendations which I think could really help um, one of them is establishing the regular and digital collection of administrative information on employment contracts used to hire EU citizens um, uh, for seasonal work and there are other um, things mentioned in, in in that as well i started to read it yesterday i still have to finish reading it by uh by by wednesday but uh it, it looks like it collects a lot of very very useful information and and that's the problem we don't have the information as i said the informal workers are invisible a lot of the migrant workers are invisible and for third country workers there's already really strong legislation on this which uh, puts very draconian uh, penalties on employers who abuse workers uh, who have uh, who are legally employed as third country migrant workers but there's the whole illegal sector and uh, and that's where so much of the abuse is going on um i mean i I think if I mean we have we have uh, I think someone mentioned the uh, the equal or the uh, the uh, minimum wage directive. So if everyone had a minimum wage, 
then there would be much less, of course, of all of the uh, of the abuses that take place. Maybe there would be much less informal work because uh, people would be paid a, a proper wage and they'd be willing to pay tax and social security contributions. The reason why uh, the whole sector is informal is so that farmers and uh, agribusiness uh, and, and other sectors as well, so that they can get away with paying their workers very, very small wages. So I think this is something that really we, we have to try and do something about. But it's very difficult, as I said, it's an invisible sector. Um, just to go back to the, the point that you made on the sanctions and on the administrative burden, um, I don't agree um, that it's not an administrative burden on farmers. It is an administrative burden in the same way that all of the animal welfare legislation and all of the environmental legislation is a burden on farmers. And when I used to be an auditor, and when you go out to the farms and talk to the farmers, this is what they say. It's it's trying to ensure that they, uh, they respect all of this legislation is a huge burden and it requires a lot of paperwork and it's a lot of stress. So this is something we had to very much take in mind when we uh, applied social conditionality. Uh, we, we, we can't con constantly burden farmers and, and when we do burden them, we have to do it gradually. And this is why social conditionality starts small. And, and the other thing is on double sanction. It's not a sanction because it's uh, taking um, a, a reduction of a payment. So, you know, formally speaking, it's not a sanction. But this is also one of the reasons why um, when we hear uh, complaints that some of the sanctions applied by the national authorities are low, um, we don't want to go and put a very high bar, uh, bar at EU level. Um, it's the only sector where they're going to have a, a labour sanction plus have income reduced. And why should the agriculture sector be the one that is doubly penalised? And uh, so this is one of the reasons why um, we don't want to be too prescriptive on what member states do. It's early days, as uh, uh, Christian said, only four member states. You didn't mention Luxembourg, but it's also introduced social conditionality this year. Portugal and Spain will do so next year. And uh, this autumn, we will start looking at the systems in place in the four member states who have already introduced social conditionality. Next year, we will look at the other two. And if we do find that there is a real problem with the uh, sanction systems in place, we will consider introducing legislation on it. But we will not do this until we see that there is a problem. And we will, we will be doing a study next year and a study in a couple of years' time that will look into this. Thank you. Mm. Um, Fraska, maybe since Margaret mentioned um, your report, do you want to give us a little sneak peek, sneak peek like uh, one or two key points that you'd like to share already uh, before Wednesday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, thank you, Margaret, uh, for mentioning this as well. Uh, yes, actually, uh, I, I just would like to stress, uh, I would like to put the stress on the three points, uh, what, um, what we uh, already can say that uh, about problems we faced or which are challenging, which were challenging. So the first problem uh, was already mentioned, uh, was the information on seasonal workers, which is very, it's lacking. So in the EU, uh, so it's very fragmented and complex and presents many, many gaps indeed. So when in mid-July 2020, the European Commission issued the guidelines on seasonal workers in the EU, in the context of the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, the number of these workers was, was estimated to be 
per year between several hundred thousands and a million. So this is uh, from the Eurofund uh, web page uh, statistics. So in March 2021, a study by the European Commission estimated the number of intra-EU seasonal workers in the agriculture, forestry, fishing, accommodation and food services sectors between 650 thousands um, uh, 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 and the 850,000. So it's very, very difficult. So, and how we, how can we properly reach all seasonal workers if uh, we struggle to know how many workers we are uh, talking about? So uh, there is a lack of European statistics on EU seasonal workers indeed. And the statistics on uh, non-EU seasonal workers are fragmented, uh, as I said. Okay, but I don't want to uh, be very, uh, very long. So a, ch a second challenge is that different uh, pieces of uh, EU legislation apply to seasonal workers depending on their nationality. According uh, to the fundamental right to the free movement of workers within the EU, EU citizens are entitled to be treated as the nationals of the host countries as regards employment, remuneration and other conditions of work and employment. So uh, I think this is uh, another point uh, to be uh, put um, in highlight. And, um, and actually, uh, there, were, uh, yeah, there were many others which uh, I don't want to speak about. But I think it's very, very, very. It's going to be a quite an important uh, study on uh, on seasonal and migrant wor workers uh, as well, taking into consideration ILO's conventions uh, as a whole. Thank you very much. Thank you for the preview, um, Claudia. I wanted to come back with you on a point that you briefly mentioned, I think, during your introductory statement, which is the question of competitiveness. So, if we um, raise labor standards or apply strict labor standards, um, enforce them, is this going to threaten the international competitiveness of the European agriculture sector? Is this something you're worried about? Okay, thank you, Julia. Uh, the first thing that I mentioned in my, in my statement, it was about the situation of agriculture that is really concerned us we think about the implementation and the increasing of the cost and the effect of the crisis russia russia ukraine and it's very concerned all the raw material that we need to produce food and this is one kind of the, of the problem. And the second part of the problem that really concerns us about the future of agriculture, it regards the uh, question of climate changes, that everybody talks about that, but sometimes we forget that the farmers and the agricultural sector are the first victims of the climate changes. So this is a really very big question that we have to approach and we have to be serious about that, but because it really can compromise the capacity of production of our agriculture. If I think 
about what happened in uh, uh, Emilia Romagna is one of the main agricultural region in our uh, in our country that we have I think that everybody heard about that we have a very um, critic fluid that compromise all the horticulture and fruit and vegetable vegetable production that is not only a regional product uh, problem but it's a national problem so we have to face about that and i think that we have to face in two different ways one is to make it to enforce the social protection uh, for the farmers and for the workers, because is it obvious that if I have a problem like the flood in the end of the May in the main region of <laughs> agricultural production, how can I guarantee the work for my workers? This is one point that we have to face. And I think also that technologies can really help us to approach this, this problem. Uh, talking about what you what you ask about the competitive the competitiveness of our agriculture uh, that really regards this aspect. So we have to approach the question in a very wide way. So climate changes and the problem of prices and the problem of how can we be competitive with non-EU countries that have know the same cause, that have known the same concern of us. We're talking about social conditionality. Today, it is important that European Union can demonstrate to be the first in this field. But we have to know and we know that the rest of agricultural um, countries that are not EU countries uh, other approach, other problems. So um, it's a really big problem of competitiveness. So uh, it means that if we want to reach the objective of uh, strength and the application, we really have to involve the all the main actors that are also in this panel um, join. So it means the the Commission, it means the social partner, it means a very good balance between the public and private and private policies. So if we make a system on starting also, also from a point like the social conditionality and not approach the social condition as one point separate to all the problems of the agriculture, if we are all responsible about this kind of approach, I think that we really could be very competitive. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, maybe very briefly, because we're running out of time, but just to wrap up, Mary Angels, would you want to um, come in on that point as well? I just wanted to uh, give the floor to you for a second. Um, oh, you disappeared. Um, can others still see her? Are you still there, Mary Angels? All right, um, maybe not then, but we're also running out of time anyway. So, ah, you're back. Okay. Um, can you hear me, Mary Angels? Ah. Okay. 
Okay, maybe maybe we just wrap it up since I think there's some technical problems. But we're also almost out of time, so um, I, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. But I thank you all for being here. I thank um, the panelists for the very lively and informative discussion, and also everyone in the in the audience for your questions in the chat and for your interest. And of course, if you want to learn more about all things cap reform, all things social conditionality, stay tuned on Euractive.com. And we hope to see you next time at our next event. Have a good day. <laughs>